0: Rusty Quill Presents.
2: Hey everyone, Alex E. here, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ostium Sagas. Did you know you can get access to a bunch more unreleased Ostium Sagas content? It's easy, just become a supporting patron at the $5 level and above on the Ostium Network Patreon at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. On our Patreon, you'll get access to many new episodes of the Ostium Sagas you haven't heard before, as well as a bunch of other bonus content. Once again, that's patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. Now, I'd just like to thank some of our new patrons for supporting the Osteum Network. Thank you to Rob, Jedia Kerr, Bobby, Maggie, and Lello for supporting us. We really appreciate it. Okay, let's get this Osteum Sagas episode started, shall we?
3: Agostium sagas
2: 23, Saga 2, 1666, Part 6 stepped foot into the past, into a darkened alley, even though it was a clear cold day with blue skies and a bright sun, but the city was bloated and overdeveloped, referred to as an inartificial congestion, with little planning and a ton of sprawl, which is why it was friggin' dark where I was currently standing. There was also a middle-aged woman puking her guts out not ten feet away, while at the end of the alley was some dude taking a dump in broad daylight." Yeah, it was at the other end of the alley, where there was plenty of light and visibility, so everyone, including myself, could see what he was doing in all of its gross detail. Yeah, that's how I knew I wasn't in the Ostium Network any longer, but now in London, in the year of our Lord, 1666. After the initial grossness, I got a strong jolt of excitement. I was actually here. The thing was, I had a ton of time. It was September 1st. The fire, according to the best records available from almost 500 years in the future, said the fire wasn't supposed to start until after midnight tomorrow night. So I spent the day trucking around the city. My hair was covered in a wrap and I kept my face covered up with a kerchief, mainly so people wouldn't stare at me because I was Chinese. But it also really helped with the smell. I'd been warned about it in many of the sources and documents I'd read, plus by teachers of the Ostium Network, Not to mention my wonderful introduction to the city with the first two people I saw. It was still worse than I thought it was going to be. I guess because usually with really bad smells, whenever you're smelling them, you know you're going to move away from that area eventually, meaning the smell will go away, or at least lessen. No such luck here in good old stinky London. I tried heading down to the dock area by the Thames, thinking if I got closer to water it might not smell as bad. No such damn luck. I won't say it smelled worse necessarily, but it still just smelled really bad, with a different cocktail of scents. Now, in addition to fish, we had a variety of rotting fish and other sea creatures long dead and heated to putrefaction in the sun. There were all the usual smells associated with boats. I guess there were some river scents too, but for the life of me I couldn't smell them. As I looked into the water of the Thames, it was like looking at a thick quagmire filled with all things dirty and rotting. And yes, before you ask, I did most definitely see some corpses in there, which I did my best to avoid looking at, as well as corpses of animals floating in the infested waters. I didn't want to find out what kinds they were. After I wasted half the day trying to get away from all the smells, I eventually exited through Ludgate and hiked a good half mile from the city, resting on a hill. There I ate lunch, which I'd bought with some of the money that was secretly sewed into my garb. Thank the Ostium Network for that cool idea. The food was fine, edible at least, and out there I was able to take off my face wrap and headscarf and enjoy some fresh air and a chilly breeze as I looked down at the thriving giant city below me. A few hours later, as the sun started making its descent back to the horizon, I forced myself to get up. Twilight would be coming soon, and I wanted to make sure I'd be safely inside somewhere comfortable before it got too dark. I found an inn that seemed cosy enough and decided to spend a little more when I learned what the cost would be, because I realised it was the penultimate night this inn would remain in existence. So why not live a little, right? The next day I went in search of a job related to tea, which ended up being harder than I thought. I knew through my research that tea was still kind of a new thing, but I wanted to apply with hopes of turning that around. Here was my chance to be effective and instrumental in changing and imposing something with the advantage of hindsight, which didn't run the risk of totally screwing up the timeline, so long as I didn't get too ambitious, that is. And this was a situation where racism worked in my favour with a person who was considering offering me a job. When she saw my ethnicity, it basically sealed the deal, so to speak. I suppose I should be grateful. No, I'm not. It's still just damn racist. Also, the tea warehouse was located in a part of London that wouldn't be burned to the ground over the next few days. That was also an important consideration. I told them I'd show up bright and early tomorrow morning, even though I was pretty sure they'd soon have a very hot item to keep them concerned with. Sorry, that joke was terrible. I don't think I'll go for humour anymore. As night came on, I enjoyed a good final dinner at the inn packed up the few belongings I'd begun accumulating, and paid them for a night's stay, even though I wouldn't be staying here tonight. And in a day or two, no one would be. When the watch called ten of the clock, I made my way down to the River Thames once again, and went in search of Pudding Lane. It didn't take long, and by then it was closing in on eleven o'clock. I found a good hidden spot by the bakery, and huddled down to wait for the last hour before the fire would begin. So far the records had been accurate. There was no sign of smoke or fire at the moment. So I suppose time would literally tell.
3: ostium sagas 24 saga 2
2: 1666 part 7 Because this was 1666, I wouldn't exactly be looking at my watch to find out what the exact time was. The best approximation I had were the bells ringing and the calls for the hour and the half hour, and my best guess at how much time had passed since I'd heard any ringing. I was thinking it had to be at least 15 minutes, and started to close in on midnight, but not quite there yet when I saw a person appear from amongst the shadows on Pudding Lane. I was still well concealed, so I didn't have to worry about being seen. They were holding something that was covered in thick cloth so I couldn't tell what it was. That is, until they reached Thomas Farrier's Bakery, which was supposed to be the place where the fire officially started. Now this was interesting. Seeing something like this made my whole trip worth it, and would potentially lead to some significant updates to the history of the Great Fire of London. They walked up to the door and drew the covering off what they were carrying. It was a lantern, the flame kindled with kerosene or some other burning fuel. I could also see the person better now with the light, and could tell it was a man. This was probably why he'd kept the lantern hidden, so he too would remain hidden. He drew something from his tunic and used it on the lock. I couldn't tell if it was a key or some sort of lock-picking tool, because it was too dark. But he got the door open really quick, so I guess it was a key. He was also being all secret about it, like someone who wasn't supposed to be here with a key. He went inside and quietly closed the door behind him.
1: Okay, so what the hell was
2: I supposed to do now? Well, I knew the rational part of me was saying to just stay put and watch the Great Fire of London get started, possibly by this complete stranger that history knew nothing about. Another part of me wanted to investigate and find out what he was doing, you know, again for history's sake, so we could get the facts right and update the history sources. And the one last part of me wanted to storm in on his ass and find out what the hell he thought he was doing, because he was clearly a shifty dude up to no good, and it pissed me off. So I counted to sixty, slowly, then got up from my hiding spot, and made my legs walk over to the bakery. There was one window all dirty and blackened, and I couldn't make out anything inside, which was probably good, because it meant the guy couldn't see me on the outside either. I knew the guy hadn't locked the door, so I grabbed the heavy iron handle and ever so slowly turned it trying to be as quiet as possible which was pretty much impossible with 17th century iron but I still thought I did a good job when I had pulled it all the way down and was relatively sure the guy hadn't been watching the door and seen the handle turned down or he would have been ripping the door open to find out who I thought I was what if he had seen and was now waiting on the other side of the door for me to open it and then clobber me or whatever I gulped and held my breath as I inched the door open There was some creaking, but still kind of quiet, all things considered. I opened it a little wider, then peeked my head in around it. The room was dark, meaning the guy wasn't there, but I could see a glow through a doorway, and that told me where he was. As I slipped inside, a harsh reality dawned on me that literally made me shiver. I needed to be really careful I didn't scare the guy or cause him to drop the lantern, therefore making me the official secret starter of the Great Fire of London. It took me longer than expected to cross the room because it was dark and full of darker machine-looking shapes that were used for baking. The only light I had was that weak glow coming from the other room. I kept the door open wide behind me to make sure if I needed to, I had a ready exit. I made it to the other doorway without knocking anything over or making a sound and then slowly looked in to see what the hell this guy was up to. My mouth dropped open. So much for worrying about the lantern, The guy had already used the hot flame to get a fire started in a corner of the room, and there was now a raging fire. And what about the guy? Well, he was on his way back across the room and was now stopped in his tracks because he was looking right at me. His mouth now as open as mine had been. Shit.
3: The Ostium Sagas 25 Saga two, sixteen sixty-six,
2: 1666 Part 8 Did I mention I used to run track in high school? Yeah, I know I didn't. Well, that's what was going through my mind as I turned and ran back through the room and out the door in one breath. I figured the guy was probably pretty blinded by the fire he started. At least I was betting on it. So instead of running up or down the street, I just snuck back into my old hiding spot in the dark and let out a quick breath, trying to keep as quiet as possible. I was watching the door, waiting for the guy to show his face. And then there he was his mouth still hanging open like he was trying to catch flies or something, looking for me. I froze, holding my breath, not moving a muscle. He stood a full five seconds in the doorway, looking up Pudding Lane one way and then down the other. He made a decision, cover the lantern, only now it didn't look quite like a lantern. The flame was different, not right, standing still. Something wasn't right about it. But then he was gone, heading up the street in search of me. Good luck, buddy. When I couldn't hear his footsteps anymore, I let out a long, shaky breath. What was I thinking, going in there like that? Still, I'd seen something that had never been known by the history sources. Then I realized and jumped up and ran for the door of the bakery, but the fire had already spread to the other room. What about the people living here, upstairs? It said they survived the fire, that someone woke them or they woke up themselves. I was about to take a risk and have those lies hanging on my conscience but I had no damn clue where the stairs were. What was I supposed to do? Then a crazy thought occurred to me and I ran back out into Pudding Lane and grabbed a handful of rocks and stones then looked up and saw the dirty outside of the upstairs window. I began firing the handful of projectiles at it, throwing harder with each rock, wanting to not just make plenty of noise, but break the damn thing. On the fourth throw, I heard the smash of glass, and followed it with two more and more crashing of glass to make sure the occupants were good and awake. I could see yellow light showing through the dingy downstairs window, and then I got the heck out of Pudding Lane, as I didn't want to get caught by anyone. When I'd seen the guy heading up the street, part of me had wanted to follow him, to find out where he lived, where he was going, what he had planned for next, and probably more importantly, who the hell he was, but I hadn't, decided split second it was too damn risky. Also, I'd seen his face in the light, and after everything that had happened tonight, I was pretty sure I wouldn't be forgetting it any time soon. That was when I started hearing bells ringing, and then church bells. I guess I could have gone on offered help, but it would have been kind of like offering to bail out water on the Titanic when it was sinking. I could also go back to the inn where I'd be staying. Technically, I still had a room there, though they'd probably start evacuating in a few hours, so there really wasn't any point. No, events had now been irrevocably set in motion, and there was no going back. So I instead left the city the same way I had before, and travelled through the pitch black, watching my steps and making sure I was going in the right direction and sat back on that hill where I had lunch a while ago which somehow felt way too long ago now and then I just watched the city burn while its people did what they could to save it and failed at some point I sat down under a tree and while watching the growing flames consume the city I drifted off to sleep I spent most of the next few days in that same spot, going into town to get food and anything else I needed. The fire kept consuming the city, eating up all that delicious dry wood. It jumped the Fleet River and kept going west. It swarmed the docks along the Thames and made little work of London Bridge. I could go deep into the history of why they did such a shitty job of putting it out. I mean, yes, it was a raging fire in a city that was over a thousand years old, but they could have at least contained it to certain areas and minimized the expansion. But the Lord Mayor really sucked at his job. The King offered to send in royal guards to help, but they weren't exactly seeing eye to eye, so he kept stalling. They also wanted to destroy a bunch of buildings to act as firebreaks, which would have totally worked, but the Lord Mayor wasn't having any of that. It would mean demolishing his rich friend's fancy houses, and that just wasn't going to happen. But by Wednesday, the king couldn't give a shit what the lord may have thought, and just came and took care of affairs himself, basically firing his ass. I patiently waited through Wednesday, watching the fire consume more and more of the city. I had to move to other hills, higher up and farther away because of the immense amount of smoke and ash in the air. Plus, I could also feel the heat from the rampaging inferno. As night set in on that Wednesday, I started getting scared for the first time. The roaring flames were lighting up the night for miles around like a mighty beacon. But shouldn't things be getting under control by now? They should be putting the fires out. It was supposed to be extinguished by Thursday. I didn't sleep that night, but just watched the conflagration rage on and consume more of London. I don't think I could have slept if I wanted to. As the sun rose, light quickly returned to the world, and once I'd moved to a new vantage point, I could see the extent of the fires and how much of the city had been reduced to ash. I felt my heart drop in my chest and an icy chill run over my whole body. I hadn't been paying enough attention. The fire had kept going east as well as west, much further than the historical sources said it should have. Most of London was now gone, including the entire Tower of London. Including the warehouse where I was supposed to go through the door to get back to the ostium network
1: Fuck
3: Gostium Sagas
2: twenty six Saga two sixteen sixty six part nine quarter's note. So, as you may have noticed, you haven't heard much from the author who put these Ostium sagas together, which isn't too surprising, since this slim volume just looks like it's in double Dutch to him, and he can't make heads or tails of anything. I, on the other hand, as per usual, have lots to say. I like to think I know something about the Great Fire of London, being a sort of local and all that. I mean, I did call the city home for a number of years. And I do remember it being called one of the more devastating events for the country, as well as the city. A lot of historic and important landmarks were turned into ash, including the renowned St. Paul's Cathedral. But as bad as it was, I recall from my reading it didn't raise the entire city by any means. I believe the terrible San Francisco earthquake of 1906 caused more damage, along with all the fires that were started. And I do remember clearly that the Tower of London was most definitely not burned or affected by the fire. It was all more the opposite side of the city. I think London Bridge burned, or at least part of it did. But when they finally put the fire out on that Thursday, there was still plenty of London left standing. So what's going on here exactly? And that's me legitimately asking the question, because at this point I haven't a bloody clue. It's something I'll just have to explore further in detail in the endnotes. Also, there's the little detail Dana Lee mentions about that guy starting the fire. Who's that bloke, then? I hope we find out more. Okay, back to the Ostium saga. Saga continues. It's been five months since the great city of London was completely burned to the ground. I panicked and lost it for a little while there. But I know I wasn't the only one. Eventually I got things back together, got my mind going in the right direction again. I was very thankful for the amount of money the Ostium network had left me with, as by 1666 standards, it was a small fortune, and really helped me through those tough days. I started going from town to town, looking for work. I wasn't ready to go back to the place that had been London. I didn't know when I would be ready. There were some tea places, but I just wasn't interested in that anymore. After everything that had happened, I started getting into trouble. Or to be more exact, trouble started finding me. Yep, I'm sure it had something to do with being an Asian woman, People thought they could push me around, treat me like crap. Especially men, and more often than not, those men wanted something more, and weren't at all bashful about demanding it from me, whether I was willing to provide or not. I was also angry, very angry, and it was going to take me a while to figure out why. In the meantime, I let all these people who had problems with me know what I thought of them, with my fists and my feet. I'd gone through extensive self-defense training with the Osteum Network, like everyone else had and I haven't forgotten any of it. None of them saw it coming, or expected it in any way, so I always got the upper hand. Those that were able to put up any sort of fight just made it more fun for me. It only took a few incidents for people to know what was up, and to not try anything with me again. Then I'd move on to another town, and would have to start the learning process all over again. Eventually I did get a job, as a kind of bouncer type for a guy who ran a bunch of businesses in Oxford, and sometimes needed some protection that lasted for about a month until I finally acknowledged that I hated what I was doing. This wasn't a job. This wasn't a life. Plus, the crying breakdowns made it all too clear for me, and I just left town and started making my way back down to the place that had once been the City of London. It took me two weeks to get there, and I needed every moment of it. In the months that have felt like they'd flown by, I'd never asked about London, about what happened after about where the people went, about whether a new town or city would be built upon its ashes. Because I hadn't wanted to know. Because I'd been too angry. I'd been so angry. I was so angry because I didn't have my own life anymore. I didn't have the life I'd been so excited about. It had been ripped away from me, and now I was stuck in this place in time that I had thought I was just visiting and would be spending the rest of my life in. Depending on how long that would last and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. I felt helpless. But when I got to the mass gravesite that used to be the great city of London, I felt better. A lot better. And a lot less angry. But I wasn't completely fixed. I still harboured some deep resentment for the extremely messed up situation I was stuck in. But that took a seat on the back burner for a while, because I thought they'd be rebuilding, resurrecting the city from the literal ashes bit by bit. I knew it would take years decades likely, but there will be something. There wasn't. There was nothing but ruin and ash and nothingness, and the apparent need for everyone to just forget and move on. How could this be? This was something completely unique. In all my studies throughout history, something, someone had always continued on, and no matter how small a situation, Anchor Wat, Easter Island, Pompeii, Krakatoa, no matter the amount and thoroughness of destruction... Humanity would always lick its wounds, heal, and then begin rebuilding once again. What the hell was going on here?
3: the Ostium Sagas
2: 27 Saga 2 1666 Part 10 I walked the flattened streets of the ruined city. It really was like walking through a cemetery, although the graves weren't marked in any way. But you got the sense of what used to be there. There were some skeletons of framework, structures, some burnt husks of something that used to be something useful, something important to someone, and then there was the whole feel to the place. It felt like a mass grave, like, like visiting the site of what used to be a concentration camp could just feel that a lot of people had died here, lives lost, souls extinguished. There were even, as shocked as I was to see it, some spots that had a little smoke wafting up into the sky, others giving off heat. Incredibly, there were still some cinders that were somehow alive after all this time. The fire had simply been that hot and devastating. As I walked around the former city, I spotted a few other people digging through the ashes, searching the wreckage for anything of worth. The third person I saw, an elderly gentleman, I couldn't stop myself from asking if he knew why the ashes hadn't been cleared, why no rebuilding had begun yet, and if he knew when they would begin rebuilding the once and great city of London. And I said I had been far away for some time, and had heard no news or updates. He said once the fires had been fully extinguished, which was a complete fortnight after the fires began, and even now some spots were still smoking. Those that had fled and escaped soon discovered there was really nothing left. He said he was here now to dig through and be sure, but a summit was held to decide what to do next. I asked whether the Lord Mayor was involved. The man's face grew sour. He said that the King had held that man personally responsible for the extent of the fires. If the Lord Mayor had done what the King had asked, there would still be a city left standing. He then said the king had ordered the Lord Mayor to be executed, which would have been conducted at the Tower of London, had it still been standing. The man was beheaded to loud and raucous cheers from the former Londoners. And that was when the king, who was front and centre on his throne at the execution, did something very strange man said. After the Lord Mayor's corpse and head had been removed, the king talked to the former residents of London, asking if they wished their city to be rebuilt, or if they preferred to move on to another place to live, as many of them had likely done already. The man said he'd never heard of a king doing something like this, asking his subjects outright, and respecting their choices whatever it might be. But he said it was unanimous, and he was completely shocked by it. No one wanted to return to the ashes of London and rebuild. A city that had stood for thousands of years was over, done with. They all wanted to move on with their lives elsewhere. The king said he would acquiesce to their wishes and that London would not be rebuilt. The capital and seat of government were moved to Oxford. In time, a memorial would be erected for all those lost and to serve as a reminder of the devastation that happened, with the hopes of avoiding anything like this ever happening again. I thanked the man for all the information he'd supplied me, and then let him go about his business, while I set off with a particular destination in mind. Recorder's note. So I suppose that's the end of London. Wow. It's... it's just so hard to even conceive of, let alone begin to process... One of, if not the most famous cities in all the world just ended. Gone, just like that. And after all its history and historical events. I mean, I know it must have been terrible seeing it completely wiped away like that. Turned to ash and death and not much more. I would have thought they'd want to rebuild. To recreate its former splendor. But also make it bigger and better than it's ever been. Of course, the end of London is not this reality. The one I currently reside in. It must be an alternate one, one of the tangents or other timelines. I think when I'm done with this, I might check in with Zhang and see if they know anything of this strange timeline where London no longer exists after 1666. And anything I learn, I'll be sure to include in my recorder's endnote to the Ostium Saga. Saga continues. I approached the site where 600 odd years ago William the Conqueror had commissioned the building of the Tower of London Like the rest of the city, little now remained But this incredible building had been made of mostly heavy stone When everything that could burn had, and at a really high temperature People must have taken the stone to use for other building materials Or something I can't fathom at this point Perhaps some crazy collectible A memento of what once was Maybe they knew someone who had been executed here Perhaps they were even family. But I wasn't here to shed tears over this lost historical landmark. I headed to the area where the arrangement had been made for me to return to Ostium in two months' time. I didn't know what I would find, but I expected it to be much like what I'd already found. Ash, burned wood, and ruins. What I found instead was a complete shock.
3: The Ostium Sagas
2: 28 Saga 2 1666 Part 11
0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Sorry, that was a little misleading there, because there was plenty of ash and burned wood, and ruins as far as the eyes could see. The warehouse and the pre-scheduled door were no longer... Not even any wooden skeletal remains or standing beams or pillars. All this I could tell from like 200 feet away. You might even be asking how I knew this was the exact spot where my return door was supposed to be when everything had been burned to the literal ground. I could make some weak-ass joke about how I have a photographic memory and can recall exactly where the location was, regardless of whether there were any buildings left standing or not. But I would just be lying. I don't have any sort of photographic memory, by the way. Not as far as I know. It was because I could feel the pull of Ostium. Yeah, I know how crazy that sounds. Even more wacko than me having a photographic memory, technically. But it was also the complete truth. There was something drawing me to this location, from the center of my chest. Like I was wearing one of those over-the-top necklaces some old-school rappers wear, with this big symbol in the middle for their name or whatever. Only in my case, it wasn't a big letter, but a heavy magnet, And wherever the place the door had been was like this big heavy piece of iron, or another big magnet, and the poles were correctly aligned, and it was pulling me right to that spot. Yeah, that's pretty convoluted, I know, but like I said, it's the truth, and it's the only way I could think to describe it. As I got closer, it got stronger. And yes, if you're wondering how I was feeling at all, I was terrified. But I'm writing this some three weeks after it happened, so I'm at least able to keep my cool now as I write about it. I'm sure you played that game a bunch of times when you were a kid with friends and family, where you were trying to find something, and they would tell you if you were getting warmer or colder. That's what this was like for me. If the pool started to feel weaker, I changed direction a little, honing in on where it specifically was, and then it felt really strong, an almost uncomfortable feeling. I kept moving and felt it get a little weaker, so i obviously found ground zero for this ostium door, only there was no door anywhere in sight, nothing but what I'd already mentioned, lots of ash and burned wood and a bunch of ruins, but I was still feeling this pulling effect, drawing me closer to something. I kneeled down and started digging through the ash and dirt, clearing away the rubble, and after a good five minutes I reached the paving stones of what had once been the street, I started digging around the space, clearing away as much of the debris as I could. I found part of the foundation of what I guess had been the warehouse, which told me this was exactly where my return Ostium door was supposed to be. Only there was no door, of course. Nothing that I could use to pass through back to my time and the Ostium network. But this pull still remained. That force drawing me here. So there was something. It meant... Well, I didn't really know what it meant other than that I should return on the arranged day when I needed to. In the meantime, I decided to travel a bit, visiting other cities around England, including Bristol, Southampton, and Bath. I even made it all the way to Cardiff in Wales, before I began making my way back to the former site of London. The money the Austrian Network had provided continued to help, along with the wages I'd earned basically as a bouncer. I lived a simple, cheap life. I didn't need much so little money went far. By the time I started on my way back, I still had plenty of savings. Of course, on my trek across southern England, I often ran into dudes wanting to rob me or do other things, but each time all they saw was a demure, defenseless woman, and landing that first punch in their shocked faces always felt great. The other thing I did while travelling was write this journal you are now reading, whoever you might be. Presumably someone related to the Ostium network, as you were able to break the code to the known cipher. And then you know what has befallen me so far. Did you know this would happen? That my way back to Ostium would be burned to the ground in this version of London where the city was no longer? Was this all part of the plan? To see if I truly would get stuck here? Well, I'm headed back now, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to find something there that will either get me back to Ostium, or just confirm that I am permanently trapped here.
3: Ostium Sagas
2: twenty nine Saga two. The idea that the wankers at the Ostium Network knew exactly what they were doing when they sent Dana Lee back to this alternate London, in an alternate England, in an alternate world from the one I'm currently living in, that that London would cease to exist and she'd have no way of getting back to Ostium, well, I'd say it all sounds extremely far-fetched and hard to believe, but again, this is the Ostium Network we're talking about here where the impossible and unbelievable is literally made very possible and definitely believable. But then, what was their goal in doing this? Why did they send her back there just to leave her there? Did they even know all that would happen? Was it random chance? Did they not know in this England the Great Fire would be so much more devastating? Dana seems to think they knew about it already, and I'm inclined to give her the benefit of the doubt, even if I don't really know what the end game was in all this. But let's get back to the saga, shall we, and see if we can find out. Saga continues. I felt the strange pool a lot sooner this time. I was still miles away from the ruins that were once London, and the closer I got, the stronger it got. There was no hesitation or uncertainty on where the location of the former door was this time. I was a good five hours early, so once I reached it, I found a shady spot nearby and had the lunch I'd brought with me. It was a freaky warm afternoon, so I found myself lying back and dozing in the warmth. I wasn't too worried about sleeping through the set time for passing through the Ostian door, because I had a window of a few hours, plus the next few days if need be. Also, I still wasn't sure what was really going to happen, if anything, and so, after all the travelling and walking, I soon drifted off into a relaxing nap. I was awoken by the sound of someone approaching. Because I was resting in a covered area, the person couldn't see me, but I could see him clearly which was good, because my mouth was hanging wide open in shock. It was the guy I followed into the bakery, the guy who started the Great Fire of London. I was beyond surprised and angry, and even a little scared, but no idea what the hell I was going to do. So for the time being, I kept quiet, wanting to see what he would do. He zeroed in on the epicenter, where I was feeling the pull of the ostium door. He apparently knew about it, somehow. Or he at least felt it in some way perhaps in the same way I did. Then he kneeled down and started digging into the ash and burnt wood chips and other little pieces of what used to be London. Before I'd left I'd covered up and buried everything again, doing my best to leave it just like it was when I arrived, undisturbed, so it took him a while to reach the bottom. When he did, he sat back on his haunches, breathing heavily. His eyes were open wide. He held that position for a full minute, then moved forward. Hold it right there, bud, I said. Yeah, not exactly correct diction and vocabulary for 17th century England. I kind of just reacted, but I also thought subconsciously that I knew exactly what I was going to say. He froze, then turned towards the sound, and his eyes somehow grew wider when he saw me coming out from my hiding place. Okay, so he did see me enough that night to recognize me. He seemed just as speechless as I was. Okay, time to go all in. I said two words to him. Ostium Network I've read the description in books before, where the author writes that a character's eyes open so wide it seemed their eyes might fall out, but I really did believe that might have happened to him at this moment. Are you okay? I asked, actually concerned for him now. How do you know about Ostium? he asked. I replied that I could say the same thing. I'm guessing you're not from here that you don't belong in this time?" I asked. He nodded and said he had the same condition. I said I'd been here almost six months. His eyes widened again, after going back to normal for a bit. He said he'd been here thirteen years. Then it was my turn for my eyes to widen. And that's when I decided to just cut to the chase and tell him my whole story. I had to repeatedly stop myself from bursting into laughter as I told him because his eyes seemed to have a mind of their own, they'd be normal-sized then get big, then get even bigger, then shrink back down, then get really big again. Yeah, you get the picture. It was really distracting, and hella hard not to laugh out loud. When I was done, he didn't say anything for a long while, and just as I was about to ask him what's up, he said he would think my story was impossible and far-fetched if he didn't have an equally crazy tale to tell. Perhaps even crazier. I suggested we sit down and get comfortable while he told me his story and I shared my remaining food and drink. He was right, his story was crazier than mine, but I was pretty sure the commonality between the two was that we had both been royally screwed by the austin Network.
3: The Ostium Sagas, thirty, Saga two,
2: 1666, Part thirty. The date I chose to return was the 7th of June, 1753, the man said. Also, his name is Robert. I asked if that was because it was the opening of the British Museum. He said, yes, precisely. An incredible historical place that houses some of the world's most beautiful and important objects in all of history, and to be able to be there on opening day and witness it in all its splendour. What about the fact that most of the articles have been stolen from their original owners from all over the world, I asked. He grew red in the cheeks, knowing exactly what I was getting at. Yes, he said. You are completely correct. However, at the opening of the British Museum, there were far fewer stolen items, and more British items that rightfully belonged here. It would not be until the height of the swollen, infectious British Empire that so many unique items would be stolen from their original countries, whether clandestinely or by force. These were all his words, and I already knew this about the British Museum, but I just wanted to make sure he did. When they asked me how long I wanted to stay, he said, I didn't really know how to answer. You see, I was particularly interested in charting the discoveries, and then tracking how they were brought to the museum and then installed, followed by their grand unveiling. Again, my focus was on these items that were specific to the British Isles. Being English, since I was a young boy, I have always been absolutely fascinated by historical items. In my mind, I wanted to spend a long time here, if possible. In my mind, it would be years. When they suggested five, ten, or even fifteen years, I was over the moon. I said yes, wholeheartedly, as long as possible. At that point, Robert said, I should have paid studious attention to their instant smiles. They had appeared a little too quickly. Perhaps then I would have been more suspicious of any ulterior motives. One of them looked at his datapad, appearing to be reading something important, then asked me if thirteen years would be acceptable. I said yes, that would be fine, but was there a particular reason for that specific number? The Ostium Network head then smiled, opened his arms as if to say, you caught me, and said yes. By the timetable my last year would be when the Great Fire of London would take place. If it was amenable to me, they would like to have me place a special monitoring device inside a bakery where it was thought the fire began. This was a new piece of technology, They would provide lots of important data on how the fire would spread, what areas would be most affected, and what procedures were conducted to control and limit the fire. They told me at a future date that someone would be sent back to retrieve what remained of the device, if anything. After the fire was out, I was to return to the city, and enter through a specific door near the Tower of London, and return to Ostium, and thence to the Ostium Network. I was happy to help the Ostium Network while also being able to satisfy my deepest desires in being there at the grand opening of the British Museum. I was put through rigorous training, much like I'm sure you were, and then travelled to Ostium and back in time to 1653. Ten years sounds like a long time to some, but for me it went by quite fast, I thought. I was able to fit into the culture and clientele of 17th century England with no problem. The Ostium Network had furnished me with enough money so that I could maintain the comfortable societal level of an aristocrat, and it was just grand seeing those rare artefacts discovered and brought to the museum. Before I really knew it, I was in my thirteenth year, and had to begin my preparations for the Night of the Great Fire. But I will say, if I am anything, I am a professional, and while I had enjoyed my time at the museum immensely, it was now time for my next duty, which I dispatched with aplomb, I must say. That is until I pressed the hidden button to activate the device as the ostium network head had shown me. The item was disguised as a lantern, should someone discover it before the fire spread, and would in fact light if needed. However, once I'd activated it, it caused a liquid to spray around the room, including covering my person, and then dispatched a flame which caused an instant conflagration. I was beyond shocked, but also terrified, taking a number of steps back, not wanting to get burned or set on fire. Had this been the intention of the Ostium Network, for my body to burn in the fire also? Was I to be simply collateral damage? As the fire quickly spread, I tried to leave, and that was when I saw you, and dashed after you into the street, where it was dark and I could barely see my hand in front of my face. The fire in the bakery had burned, pun very much intended, believe you me, after-images on my retina, and so seeing in the dark street was very difficult. Once I saw you were gone, and knew not which direction, I just ran, and ran, and ran. I waited days for the fire to diminish and to be put out, as I wished to return to the Ostian Network as soon as possible, and to find out what had gone wrong, but the fire kept growing, and raging, and consuming more of the city, until there was nothing left. It was then that I fully realized my way back to my own time had been completely obliterated.
3: Gostium Sagas
2: 31 Saga 2 1666 Part 14 The Final Part I know for a fact, I said, that I don't see this very often when it comes to things concerning the Ostium network, but know exactly how you feel. So what did you do after everything had been burned to the ground? Well, he said, everything I'd come here for was gone, essentially. The British Museum was no longer, and my heart was broken. But perhaps, more importantly, it seemed as if I was now trapped here in the 17th century. I fled in anger, perhaps much like you did, travelling up north, far away from all that pain, and visited other museums and historical sites. As dire as things were, I still had my advantageous society status, plenty of money. Things could have been a lot worse. So as I tried to wrap my mind around some form of acceptance that I would be spending the rest of my life in this time, I knew one day I would have to return to the hallowed ground that was once London. You see, the Ostium Network head had also quoted me one more date, six months after the disaster, barring some unpredictable eventuality, that would give me another chance. And that is why you are here now? I asked. Yes, Robert said. So we were to pass through the same door at the same time, I pondered. And the Ostium Network never thought it important enough to tell either of us this? Yes, it appears that way, doesn't it? he said. So we are both trapped here now, indefinitely. Well, he said, I am not completely certain of that. You see, as I came close to the former city, I felt this strange pull drawing me in. I thought it might be something related to the Ostium network, so I pursued the direction I was being taken, which led me to here. And just as you announced your presence, I had discovered something very interesting. Please, take a look The pulling, of course We had now reached the appointed time when I No, when we were scheduled to return to Ostium. I walked up to the space Robert had uncovered, thinking Well, I had no clue really what to think Last time there had just been the cobblestones of the street and the foundation of the doorframe This time there was A black space An opening An ostium I recognized the shimmering nature of the opening, only I couldn't see what was on the other side. Did this lead back to Ostium? I asked Robert that exact question. I don't know, he said. It seems to make the most sense. The problem was it was small, too small. It had the diameter of a frisbee. So yeah, you could fit some stuff through, but no humans were going through that small space. The question, Robert asked, remains whether the ostium door, if that is what it is, and I can't really believe it is anything else, will get any bigger. We don't need much, I said. We don't need a whole friggin' door, just like manhole size so we can drop down through. We talked over our options, which weren't many. I explained how the Ostium network had arranged to have the door supposedly be open and available at the same time over the next few days. So we worked for an hour, clearing more rubble and space around it, making sure nothing tumbled or fell into the dark opening. Sixty minutes later we had enough room for the opening to hopefully expand and accommodate us for our trip back to Ostium, and then we waited for three very, very long days. We would take turns going for supplies, and then shifts during the night, with a fire constantly going, so someone was always on watch for any change that might occur to the ostium, no matter the hour, just in case. Sadly, there was no change over those days. We also thought it strange that the opening did not disappear when the allotted time ended, and then reappear when it began once more especially when it exceeded those pre-planned three days. The strange opening remained, neither increasing or decreasing in size. So then we spent that fourth day deciding what we could do next. I showed Robert the journal I had been keeping, which he said was an intelligent choice. His eyes, which I had grown very familiar with, and might even say fond of over the last few days, grew with a dawning idea... His eyes, which I had grown very familiar with, and might even say fond of over the last days, grew with a dawning idea. He said that while we would not be able to pass through the opening, it was large enough to accommodate the journal. As my lips formed the word to ask him why, my brain explained. We could not get back to Ostium, but if the journal could, it would eventually be found, and then they would at least know what had befallen us. Would it be cathartic for us to know that the Osteum network knew? Probably not, but it would be something. So I said Robert's idea aloud, and then we talked over it a bit. I don't really know why I started this journal for fun, for something to do, but I think a part of me wanted some record to show them, so that it would be remembered especially since these events over the last six months had turned out very different from what I'd read
1: in the history books.
2: We didn't talk for long, and were soon in agreement. Once I completed the last entry, the book would be closed and dropped through the opening. What would happen after that? Would the austere remain open? Or perhaps now that something had passed through it, would close up forever, and that would be the end of that. Unfortunately, the reader of this journal will never truly know. Maybe I can leave a subtle clue somehow that will show up in some history book or other. You never know. As for Robert and I, well, we've been talking and have quickly, perhaps unsurprisingly, become good and close friends. We've got the whole world open to us, with a decent knowledge of the future on our side. We've been bouncing around the idea of going to America. Yes, a very different one to the country I was born and grew up in. But in that lies the adventure, I think. And Robert seems excited by the idea, so we shall just have to see. And that brings me to the end of this journal and my story. And I am happy for its continued existence. Whether it is now back in the hands of the Austrian Network... Or some other time. Much like the many stories from history I have read throughout my years, so my own story has become a part of history. And that makes me very happy. But then, isn't that all I could really ask for?